the long run, passivity won't pay off. It never pays off. If you want a life of meaning and transcendence, you're going to have to move. Aggression doesn't have to be toxic or damaging. Healthy aggression risks. It builds new things. It breaks through barriers. It's the key to living a life that matters. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. There are moments in life when everything changes. A phone call, a diagnosis, signing those papers. How do you pick up afterwards? How do you find the strength to get up off the mat and back into the fight? Well, Craig DiMartino knows a little bit about that. You might say, Craig DiMartino, who is that? Well, you're going to find out today. After years as an accomplished rock climber, his life changed dramatically on July 21st, 2002. Uh, It was an accident where he dropped 100 feet while climbing in Colorado. That's the height of a 10-story building. Miraculously, he survives but the most challenging things actually lied ahead for him. Lied ahead, lay ahead. You understand. This is not the this is not the vocabulary grammar life. This is the aggressive life. His accident resulted in a three-month stay in the hospital as he slowly recovered from his injuries. He later entered a rehab facility to rebuild his body. Climbing is in Craig's blood, so as he began to heal, he set his sights on a recovery and therapy regimen that would get him back out into the mountains that he loves, but it was an incredibly painfully slow process. So after 18 months of healing and hard work, Craig comes to the decision to amputate his freaking right leg. The dude chose to amputate his right leg beneath the knee in order to return to climbing, and he came back with a fury. Since then, he has achieved amazing feats. He's been the first amputee to climb Yosemite's El Capitan in under 24 hours. He led the first all-disabled ascent of El Cap. He's a two-time national paraclimbing champion. He's a two-time bronze medal winner at the Paraclimbing World Championship. He's a five-time gold medalist in the Extremity Games. Whew. (laughs) Choosing to lose the limb to get you back to the life you love, that is an incredibly aggressive move. Maybe a questionable move. move, I don't know. We're going to find out today. But here's the thing. I know all of us have fallen off mountains. I know all of us have broken things. That hasn't been a bone. It's been our pride. It's been our ego. We've had shattered our illusions of what this life was supposed to give to us and what it wasn't ever going to give us. All of us have had massive heartbreak, and disappointment. And I'm hoping this man gives us a little bit of inspiration and a little bit of help. So welcome to The Aggressive Life, Craig DiMartino. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That might have been the best intro I've ever sat with. That's amazing. It's it's very awkward when someone intros you, isn't it? Do you, do you find it awkward? It's, I do when someone intros me. Yeah, it, it, it can be. But like, I like when people do what you just did because it's like, it, it's kind of fun. It's exciting. It's fun. I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear this guy's story. And then I was like, oh, wait, that's me. Damn it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, well, I, I gave the uh, comments ahead of time, but let, let's go. Let's go back. You're climbing. Do, actually, you know, even before we go to your stuff, let's talk about climbing for a moment, yeah. shall we? There's the two most recent, I would assume, most watched climbing movies of all time. 
uh, I've seen them both, Don Wall and what's the other one? Solo, right? Free Solo. Free Solo. Not Han Solo. Nope. Which would be cool too, but like, no, Free Solo with Alex Honnold. Got it. Right. I assume you've, yeah. you've seen both of those multiple times, I would yes. assume. Yes, yes, yes. So as a mountain climber, a, a legitimate mountain climber, what are the kind of things that you pick up when you watch shows like that, that someone like me wouldn't pick up? What do you find fascinating about those? So the really fascinating thing to me about both those is I've known those guys for a long time. Um, Tommy, who was in the Dolan Wall, we've known him since he was like 12, which is, which is just funny. And Alex um, met him like probably 10 years ago or so, 12 years ago. The, both those films are probably the only films that I've seen um, that have been like widely viewed by people that are actually real climbing films. They're like, they're, they're going into like why they do what they do, how they do what they do, especially Free Solo. Because um, what he did was so, to, to, as a climber, so groundbreaking. But just as a human, you just look at that and you think, oh my gosh, that's insane. So those two films, if you only ever see two films in the climbing genre, I would say go see those because you'll actually get a flavor for what rock climbing is really like. I, I enjoyed them immensely. I really... I really like the dude and the story with, with the Donwell. I think he was, yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought his, I don't know, I, his whole approach and his mentality, I just found really amazing. And obviously the other dude in the, you know, free solo, what, sorry, what's the name of the movie again? He's free solo. Yeah. Free his solo. name's yeah. Alex. Alex. Okay. I mean, obviously he's got to be the most gifted climber I've ever seen. I haven't seen that many, but that's amazing. Truly. He's truly, I mean, he's, he's definitely a half bubble off though. Yeah, he's, he's a quirky guy, he's you know, a, he's, he's a, a fry guy. short of a happy meal. Come on he's now. I, I know, you guy. know, and you're probably friends, but like, I'm going to look at like a man, dude, you, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you may he's get different. to the top, he, you may get to the top. Your elevator does not go all the way to the top. He is a different kind of guy, you know, and to, to pull off that kind of a thing, you have to be a different kind of human. And he is that, he is that very much. So Boy, good is, guy, both very good guys. That is true though, Craig, it, the people who do extraordinary things so frequently have lives that are questionable or so frequently have a schedule that's ridiculous or values that are weird. It's like, because they're out of the ordinary. It's like, if you want everyone to understand you, then just do what everybody is doing. And guess what? You're just going to have what everybody else is having. Totally. And I think it's, it's funny, like having been a climber for as long as I have and, and been, hurt and gone back to climbing and then done things that people think are, are bigger things to get done. Um, you realize that from a, from a climber standpoint, it's just me doing what I want to do. It's, it's like, I'm not really concerned with, like you're saying, like what everyone else is kind of grinding towards. And that's fine. That's great. Cause some people find a lot of uh, value and worth in that. Um, I just find it in a different genre, just like these other people where you just see things. Um, I, I guess we just, you know, you just see things differently. You just think like, to me, it's completely normal to dedicate your life to doing something that you love to do. Even if that means, you know, getting busted up and, and getting, you know, having to put yourself back together, it's, it's still worth it to me. And, and that's why I've been able to do it as long as I have and still love doing it. So it's, it's just a different mindset. Yeah, when I, I I find it hard to describe uh, my two main, oh, I got three different kind of areas areas of adventure in my life right now that I'm doing. 
adventure motorcycle riding, overlanding, and I've been starting to get into hunting big. And um, nice. yeah, it's been fun. And I find that it's very hard when, when you get into something that people don't understand, it's really, really hard to describe it in a way that someone would say, oh, well, I want to do that. Yep. That's got to be the same way with mountain climbing. Tell me, try to help me convince why I would want to take up mountain climbing. What What is it for you that just cranks, gets you cranking? You know, I've been climbing about 31 years. So pretty much most of my life I've been a climber. And for me, when I pulled onto a rock the very first time, um, it didn't matter to me if it was 10 feet tall or if it was 3,000 feet tall. The, the, uh, the immediate engagement and the immediate um, attention that it forced me to have was, was intoxicating. And so that is what climbing is for me. It's me- memorizing things. It's, it's moving in such a way that you're, you're very purposeful. You're very, uh, you're very directed. And, and that focus is, is really, really, really hard to find in life, I think. Um, it's, it's hard to, to say, oh, I do that when I do X, Y, Z. It's, it's just very difficult to find that level of focus. And even after 31 years, I still get that. And I still love that feeling. Plus you're outside in these amazing places. You're in these, these zones that just, you know, very few people get to be in. And so for me, that is just a privilege. And I just love, I I just don't get tired of that. Boy, that's really interesting hearing you say that. Uh, I don't know why I would be surprised that you would say that, but because I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, uh, you're going to say, well, man, there's just nothing like being in a high place and that uh, that adrenaline surge of this and that. And I'm sure that's it. I'm, I'm, I definitely am. I, I know you feel that way. But hearing you talk about that, I feel, that's exactly why I choose the stuff that I choose. It's right. because you get out of your normal zone. You're forced to think of things that you wouldn't think. So, of course, now I'm just dawning. You probably like planning the climb even more than the climb. Completely. I mean, you visualize everything you're doing. You, you, you map it out in your brain. That's one of the beautiful things of it is like every route is different. So you're, you're always constantly having to plan what you're going to do on that particular route at that particular time. And so that is really a neat feeling. And that when that actually works, you know, when you actually pull it together and you actually get a climb done, the feeling of that is really neat. Um, it's very fleeting, which is the other cool thing about climbing is as soon as you get to the top, there's a hundred climbs or routes behind that, that you're going to now go put your attention to. So it's just an amazingly neat um, place to be in and in a really cool process to be involved in. And I read that you got turned on to climbing at a bachelor party. What? So you guys, you guys, you guys got all wasted and said, Hey, let's go climb something naked. Is that no. what happened? No, see, it was the exact opposite. My buddy was like, he was getting married right out of college. And he said, uh, instead of going to a strip club, he's like, I want to go climbing. And so he took, it was me. And I think five other guys, we went climbing. I grew up in Pennsylvania, so not a lot of climbing there, but there was this scrappy little cliff outside of uh, Philadelphia. And we went out there and I was an incredibly unathletic kid. You know, I was not into sports. I didn't, it just wasn't there. So I wasn't expecting much. And maybe that is why it, it hit me so hard. But as soon as I tied in and started climbing, I was like, oh man, I want to do this. So that was, you know, pretty much 31 years ago, I just said, I'm going to go ahead and restructure everything so I can do this as much as I possibly can. And that's what, that's what I did. And what did restructuring everything mean? 
So kind of what you said, kind of turning away from, okay, this is what is expected of me. I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get married. I'm going to do this, 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 and this is what society expects me to do. And instead of that, I just said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and forego a lot of that stuff. And I'm going to just climb. I was a photographer, so I could kind of incorporate the two things together. So I would uh, travel and climb. For a long time, I lived in my car um, because I would go to climbing areas and just stay in those areas for long periods of time. And so like if I would go to Yosemite, I could drive out there and then just kind of camp for, you know, a couple months at a time and then go to the next spot I was going to climb once the weather turns. So kind of turned away from like, what is that typical career path and decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And it worked out, you know, you don't obviously make a lot of money doing that. You, you make very little money, but I ended up working with some publishers who liked what I was doing. And so I was able to kind of structure my schedule around climbing. So when it was nice, I would go climbing. When it was crappy, I would be doing the work stuff that I needed to do to make money so that I could continue to go climbing. And that just kind of worked. That worked right up until I got hurt in 2002. So that worked for about 13 years. Um, I, I was sort of going up and down on that, that spectrum somewhere. But then in 2002, that all kind of changed and that restructuring kind of changed as well of like, where do I go now? Where do I prioritize my life? So let's go back to that fateful day, that fateful accident that changed your yeah. life. What do you remember before the accident happened on that day? Uh, I, man, I remember everything. Um, I remember walking out to the cliff that day. I was with a really great friend of mine. Um, he and I were climbing together, um, in Rocky mountain national park a lot that summer. Um, my, my kids were both really young at the time. They were two and four. And so my wife and I were kind of trading, like she would do a day of climbing. My wife is a, as much a core climber as I am. And so she would climb and then I'd watch the kids and then we'd flip flop and I would watch the kids and she would go climb. So we would kind of do that over and over. So she had done a really long race the day before, uh, uh, up in Leadville, Colorado, kind of near where we live. And then that next day I went into the park with my buddy, Steve, we got to the route, um, tied into the route, started up the route. I remember everything. I remember being a little bit nervous. Um, sometimes before I climb, I get like the kind of jitters, like butterflies. And usually once I start climbing, that goes away. And that particular day, it didn't. I was still kind of nervous after the first couple climbs we did. We did it probably two or three climbs before we went over to the climb that I got hurt on. Um, and I felt, you just feel a little bit off, you know, and, and a lot of people call that like mountain sense and you should listen to that. And I probably should have listened to it that day, but um, it didn't seem that far off to me. It just felt, I just thought I was nervous. So I remember everything right up to the point getting to the anchor, getting clipped into the anchor. And I distinctly remember being dropped from the anchor. So very vividly can reconstruct all that in my brain. The anchor, what, was there a malfunction in equipment or what happened? No. So we, we went to this climb after doing these three other climbs and climbers have vernacular, just like everybody else. You know, we, we say certain things, they mean a certain thing. And so when we went to this particular climb, my friend didn't want to go first. So there's always a person going first and that's called the leader. The person leads up the climb to the anchor point, which was in this case, three bolts driven into the rock by other climbers. And as the leader getting there first, what I do is I clip in directly to that anchor. And what we were going to do is he wanted to do something called top roping. And so top roping in my mind was he was going to then lower me back to the ground. 
I would belay him from the ground and then he would go up and on the climb that I had just done. Okay. What he thought was going to happen was he was going to get me, I was going to get to the anchor and then he was going to come up to the anchor. Then we would rappel off together and then do the climb again. We just never clarified that because he and I climbed together all the time. So when I got to the anchor, I clipped in directly, but because the climb was so steep, we could only hear each other. I yelled that I was ready. I meant to be lower to the ground. And he thought, oh, Craig's ready to bring me up to the anchor. So he yelled, okay, you're good. So I heard I was good. Uh, I unclipped from the anchor and I just sat back and I started uh, immediately really fast right away. Um, uh, and that's when your brain starts to slow down and click in like something bad is happening. You don't really uh, grasp what's happening. You're just kind of like, I should stop. I should stop. I should stop. I'm not stopping. So uh, now what? And so you start to, you start problem solving because you know, you're falling and you know, you're picking up speed and you know, it's either going to stop or you're going the entire hundred feet to the ground. And about 20 feet into it, I realized I'm going all the way. And so you, you start to do damage control in your brain. Like, okay, I don't want to hit the cliff. I want to try to get away from the cliff so I can see where I'm going. And I did all this in my brain. And what my reaction to that was, I pushed really hard on the cliff. And that's great because it, it does keep you from hitting ledges and things, but it tipped me over to the side. So I was falling kind of straight down in a horizontal fashion, which if you hit the ground from hundred feet up on your side, you're just going to die instantly. You're just going to explode. So about 80 feet of that fall was sideways and about 20 feet from the ground, there was a dead tree and the dead tree was actually leaning against the cliff. And as I was coming down sideways, I clipped the tree and it stood me back up. So when it hit my head, it hit me right in the side of the head. It stood me back to a standing orientation. And then I hit the ground with both feet, mm. which from a hundred feet is, mm. is probably the only way you can survive. Huh. So that is one of the huge miracles of, of just, physics that when I hit, I was actually standing. And then, and then the, the, the force generated just destroys your body at uh, that point. Yeah. It destroys your body beyond destroys your legs, your legs. So both my legs exploded basically. So I had compound fractures of, of my heels and my tibia and my fibular, um, that motion you're making that I still make that I still go, ah, um, and then the shockwave goes somewhere, you know, right. so it broke my back at L2, which is kind mm. of through your belly button it, and it smashed it all down together, broke the ribs on my right side and punctured that lung on the right side, tore up my shoulder. So like where your where your joint kind of joins into your shoulder, um, that all got destroyed. My elbow got destroyed and then it broke my neck at C5, C6, which is kind of right through your Adam's apple here. Mm. And then I just kind of like folded down onto the talus blocks, which are the big blocks at the base of the climb. And I had severed the, I think my right leg, I had severed the artery in my right leg. So I was bleeding really badly. So that artery was spraying blood. And so my, my partner was just like, holy crap. Um, Craig and I are talking with Zoom right now. And I feel bad. Everything he says, my face, my face scrunches up. I'm going, ah, ah, oh. I get that pit of my stomach. I get, uh, am I the yes. only one who, whenever there's a painful story, I get a tingle in my testicles. It's like, a tingle. Yes. It's like I'm like, do you have, is that just me or is that you too? Do you get that when someone's telling no, you a story? That's, <laughs> that's your testicles going, that's horrible. I, I know. Terrible. Yes. I, know. No, I hear you. Oh I hear you. Oh my gosh. You're, you're killing. This is, this I is mesmerizing you. and you're killing me at the same time. So you're down in a yeah. pool of blood, you're on these rocks, 
the guy up above, he comes down and what, tourniquets you and saves your life or what? Yeah, he put a tourniquet on my leg and he just said, okay, we have to get out of here, right? Like, cause we were about four miles in the, in the back country. He put a tourniquet on my leg and he was going to run out to my truck, which was parked in that parking lot four miles away. And then he was going to drive into Estes Park, which was the closest town and get an ambulance. Uh. And he kind of put me against the, where I landed, he kind of drug me off the rocks that I was laying on and kind of put some, our backpacks against me so I couldn't roll. And then he said, okay, I'm going to go. And he, he left. And then all of a sudden he was back and he was like, I have a cell phone in my, my backpack. I'm going to see if it works. And he had never, this was really odd to me. He never carried a phone with him. I didn't have a phone with me that day um, because 2002, right? Like we didn't carry phones as much as we do now. Um, and so he got a cell phone um, reception bar on his phone and he called in to 911. They passed him through to Rocky Mountain Rescue. And the guy who answered the phone there, um, his name was Eric Gabriel. He was the, not only the head of Rocky Mountain Rescue, he was a climber. So when Steve told him where we were, he's like, I know exactly where you are. We'll be there as fast as we can. So probably from the, I hit the ground around two 30 in the afternoon. Eric was at my side, probably 45 minutes later. Wow. He had, he knew all these shortcuts to get in. He kind of cut across this ranch land and he was there. He's an EMT. He started kind of doing damage assessment at that point. So that kind of put the, the rescue into to motion. So he pulled the trigger on that. So then all these other organizations now kick in and they start doing what they're going to do. Eric stays with me. It took them about seven hours to get me out. So all they wanted to do was get me to kind of an open area where a helicopter could land. But uh, July, it gets dark around 8.30 or 9 up in the park. So they didn't, they had a definite window that the chopper can only land when it's light out, you know, because they fly line of sight. So they got me out um, just in time uh, to this clearing where they picked me up. And then they flew me to Fort Collins, which is the town kind of right near where I live, just because they had a, a level two trauma hospital. And so they flew me there. My wife had kind of about halfway through the, uh, the rescue, he had at the Eric asked me if, if I wanted him to call my wife. And I just thought that was a horrible idea. Um, I just didn't want to bother her. Didn't want to worry her. You don't know how bad you're hurt. You know, you just, uh, right. you're just in a world of pain. So right. you're just trying to process what's going on. And so he called Cindy, my wife, and she ran, ended up running out and meeting me on the trailhead. We spoke really briefly, like five seconds, just, hey, the kids are okay. I'll see you at the hospital. And then she was gone. So once they got me on the chopper, then they flew me to Fort Collins. And then that was the kind of the beginning of the next chapter, I suppose, where they just begin doing these like things to assess what's going to happen to you next. So the big decision I think you made is you made a decision to to have your leg taken off so you can climb. Is that what I, is that what I understand? Yeah, but I didn't do, so when they brought me in, my legs were equally broken. So they were both pretty bad. So they, at that time they said, okay, we have to fuse his back. So that's the first thing we have to do. So they fused my back um, from L1 through four and then my neck at C5, C6. So they stabilize your spine first and then they stop and they're like, okay, if he lives through the night, and this is what they told my wife, they're like, if he lives through the night, we'll do more. But like right now, that's all we can do because he's, he's so broken up. So I made it through that first 24 hour period. I was on a ventilator, so I couldn't speak. Um, and then they said like, both his legs are pretty bad. So he's going to probably lose both his legs, but we're going to wait because he lost a ton of blood. He's so, so much trauma. So let's just let it 
settle in a little bit and see if he comes off the ventilator. So I was on the ventilator for five days, um, sort of in and out of consciousness. You know, they keep you in a kind of a coma, not a coma really, but like a, a fog where they don't want you moving. They don't want you doing anything. So once they pulled the ventilator, then I could ask questions. Um, and then they moved me uh, on the fifth day, they moved me, pulled the ventilator and moved me to a, like an orthopedic care ward where then they said, okay, let's look at your legs now and see what's going on. So they started, they put a bunch of hardware in my left leg. They put a bunch of hardware in my right leg. They did uh, more surgeries on my right leg, which is the leg that I ended up amputating simply because that one, it just had more damage and they just couldn't quite get it to work right. So put a bunch of hardware in and then really around the, uh, probably the two week mark, they said, okay, we're going to move you to an extended care facility now and just let you heal a little bit. I still had both legs. Um, they moved me to an extended care facility and I stayed there for two months, just kind of waiting and just going through rehabs. And I would do a surgery on my right leg, probably every two days, they'd go in and kind of tweak it and do something and try to get it to work better. And then at that, after about two and a half or three months, they sent me home. I had both legs and they just said, that's as much as we can do. So at this point, you got to just like see what heals and what doesn't heal. I could walk with crutches or a walker. Um, I still had a cast on my right leg. My left leg was like in a boot, but not a cast. It was just like a shoe that kind of held it firm. And for the next year, that was kind of my whole life. I just, I would do PT. I would, I would kind of figure out what worked and what didn't work. And my left leg sort of healed a bit more um, where I could actually get a shoe on it. And my right leg just, it just never got out of that walking boot. It was always in a cast. And I kept wondering about climbing again, you know, do I want to go back to climbing? Do I, do I think it's a good idea? Doctors were like, you know, it's probably not a great idea because you have so much hardware in you, but you know, you make your own decisions. Um, my family, my parents thought it was a horrible idea. Um, but my wife was like, you know, if you want to, I get it. If you don't want to, I get that as well. And so it's up to you. What do you want to do? And so about 18 months after the accident, I just decided, well, with the leg, the way it is, I'm never going to be able to do it. And so the accident kind of kept taking things away from me. And I kept, I was always like reacting to whatever happened from the accident. So by amputating, it allowed me to take a little bit of control and say, okay, I'm going to do this incredibly big thing, but it's something that I get to decide. And so that is going to determine if I go climbing again. So I'm going to let that, I'm going to get to make that choice. And so at 18 months, went back in, amputated my leg below the knee. And then four months after that, I was climbing. Um, not well, in fact, quite shakily, but it was like, I got to make those decisions finally. And it, it, it kind of gave me a little bit of power back in the situation, which I hadn't had for, you know, basically two years. You're stumbling on right here, Craig, the uh, I think as a perfect case study for the for the aggressive life, someone would would hear, okay, well, it's aggressive to choose to take your leg off instead of being a boot the rest of your life. Okay, yeah, that that's aggressive, but yes, it is. Yes, it is. but but really, what you said there is 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 really the crux of the matter. You were tired of being a victim of the boot. The boot was telling you what you could and couldn't do. The boot was dictating what you, and so in you deciding, hey, if I get rid of the boot, unfortunately my leg goes along with it, <laughs> but if right. I get rid of that, right. I'm I'm going on the aggressive. 
I'm not in reaction mode. I'm Correct. pushing things. Am I, am, I, am I saying this correctly? No, that's 100%. And, and, it, and it wasn't even just the boot. It was just the accident. The accident kept dictating, okay, this is what you're going to have. This is what you're going to do. And that worked for, you know, whatever, two years. And then at, at some point you become this point, you get to this point where you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this thing dictating to me what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And so I'm going to take this rather extreme step and do this because it probably is going to get me back to the quality of life that I had before. Mm. How about since then? Is there, is there anything that you've done since then that you kind of got the ball in motion of making bold decisions and things you've done since then, these decisions that weren't, weren't so hard to make anymore. I mean, my gosh, just deciding to eliminate one of your legs. I, that, that's, that's, that's tough. You know, that, that's an amazing hard call <laughs> decision. Do you find that's other decisions are easier after that decision? Well, yeah. I mean, even, even going, like going back to, to Yosemite and climbing out cap in a day, um, you know, I, I remember distinctly speaking to my partner at the time and he said, you know, no one's done this before. And there's probably a reason no one's done this before. Um, so just so you know that this could be, this could be, you know, bad, you could get hurt again. You could get, we could get, you can die doing these things. It's like, are you, are you just want to make sure you're aware of all that? And I was aware of all that, but it makes you, I think when you make those big decisions once it's, it's that, you know, you kind of desensitize to it a little bit. So now the next big decision isn't as big where you, now you're like, okay, well, I have a little bit of, of knowledge to pull from now. So I can look at that a little bit differently. And so I think now those decisions are easier to make for me. Um, and they're easier to deal with the consequences as well. They don't always go well, right? Like right. It, it doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to work out, but you're able to deal with the consequences, good or bad. Um, a lot of times it works. A lot of times it doesn't. So you, it gives you more knowledge to deal with. So you made the call, you got back up on the mountain and you did, and everything's fine now and easy and everyone lived happily ever after, right? Totally. Perfectly good. It is like, yeah, super cruise control now. Describe right. to the more passive members of our audience or the more cautious, uh, that's a loaded word, passive, cautious, to the more cautious members, why would a guy like you decide to go climbing again? Because for me, um, the quality of life that I had when I was walking with the boot on with crutches all the time, it was not the quality of life that I wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it also wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to sit in a chair the rest of my life and just say, well, I used to, I used to be able to go climbing. I used to do this, this, and this, and now I can't because I got hurt. I, I didn't want the accident to just keep dictating that to me. And I just couldn't, I couldn't kind of reconcile that quality of life. And so I wanted more for myself and for my family. And so, you know, I wanted to go climbing with my wife again. I wanted to go climbing with our friends again. I wanted to be outside experiencing these things that I did before. And in the current state that I had, I couldn't do that. Um, you know, I could just do really, really small pieces of it. And I, that wasn't enough for me. So it was worth it to me to gamble and say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and throw this all out there and cut my leg off and see what happens. Um, and hopefully that it lands in, in, on the favorable side. And it did for me, 
but that doesn't mean, you know, because of all the injuries that I have, um, you know, you, you just, it, 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 you don't just get better, you know, you don't all of a sudden you're not healed. So, um, I'm sitting here today with my foot, um, in a, I had surgery on Wednesday because I had to fix a torn ligament and broken kind of bone and bottom of my foot. Um, so all these injuries, even now, whatever, 15 years after the accident, mm. you know, you still wow. have to deal with stuff. Wow. Um, you know, my spinal cord is all wrecked from the hardware and just all the damage I did. Same with my neck, same with my leg. It's like, you know, you don't, it's not like a get out of jail free card. And just because you make one decision doesn't make all the other ones perfect. You just, you have to look at the bigger picture. And that's what I did was what's the quality of life I want. And so that's what got me back on to the climbing thing. So the bigger picture, is there anything about your bigger picture view on life that has changed or has been tweaked because of all this? Everything. Um, I mean, I don't think I look at anything the same way. I initially, you know, when you start climbing, you just want to climb the hardest routes you possibly can, you know, as a younger climber. But then at some point you realize, oh, you know, I'm doing this really just for me because nobody really cares how hard I climb um, except for myself. But, uh, you know, what can I do on a bigger on a bigger stage, I guess, w- would be the question that I had. And around that same time, I bumped into a, a really good friend of mine. He had started a nonprofit and he was taking some veterans uh, with physical disabilities climbing. And he was like, hey, man, why don't you come down to Boulder and, and come climbing with me and these guys? And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, why would I do that? I have no desire to do that. But he was very persuasive. And I went down on this Saturday afternoon and met these dudes. And um, we went climbing. They were, most of them were missing their legs like me. And I came away from it. And I was like, holy crap, man, that it blew my mind that these guys were willing, number one, willing to listen, like, okay, how do I rock climb with, without a leg? And two, they wanted to know like, okay, how do I get a better quality of life? You know, cause a lot of those guys were like, they were, one guy was addicted to, I think at that time hash. Um, so he's like smoking hash, like freaking left and right. Um, another dude is addicted to, to painkillers and they're like, I, you know, I want to get out of this cycle that I'm in. So what do I do? And I didn't have experience there, but like, I could say, Hey, you know what? Let's read. You need to redirect. Like you're just focusing on this one thing. Like I'm in pain all the time. So I'm going to numb it by doing this, whichever that was. All of a sudden you have a guy like me saying, look, I get that you're disabled, but like, you can actually be climbing. You can be outside. You can be doing a lot of these other things that you maybe didn't think you could do, which will redirect you. And that's what it did. It redirected them for the day, which then made them realize, Oh, maybe I don't need to be doing this other crap. That's so, so destructive. I can channel that energy somewhere else. And that's what they did. They kind of redirected, which then actually redirected me and made me go, Oh, wait, so maybe I could be doing this with other people. You know, maybe I can take some other disabled folks climbing, maybe just introduce them to it and just kind of build it out from there. So it, the accident and the, that re kind of redoing of my brain kind of went across to everything. It, It didn't, didn't just stop at climbing. It went everywhere. You talk a lot about fear. One of your quotes is what nagged me most of all was that I didn't want fear to be the reason I stopped. We're here in America. We're not the land of the free. We are the land of the fear with more, (laughs) more, more paranoia, more psychoses, more seatbelts, more helmets, more insurance policies than any culture in the history 
of the world. But no, I'm not fearful. I'm just cautious. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not fearful. I'm just reasonable. Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm not fearful. I'm just thoughtful. No, you're freaking fearful. No, no, you're you're not doing things you should do because you you are afraid. So just go in a little sermon here. Like, tell us about fear. You know, fear is one of those things. Like, you can let it paralyze you, or you can let it in, in, ignite you. And I feel like. The more you do to kind of insulate yourself from fear, I mean, you're never going to be safe. I remember this, one of the best things that anyone ever said to me was, this is way a long time ago. I went to Vietnam and um, I was going over there to work with this woman who owned these orphanages. And she said to me, um, when we get here, she said, we are going to go in here and help these orphans. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And that is going to kind of show them what faith is. And I remember thinking, wow, this is really dangerous. This is kind of crazy. And the one guy said, here's the thing. You can't, if you think you can protect yourself by staying home, you're kidding yourself because just driving in this day and age is, is dangerous. So like, yeah, I mean, sure. It, you, do you want to run in front of a gun? Probably not. But like fear, you can't let it just prioritize your life and you can't let it just run your life. And so for me, climbers in general, what we do is compartmentalize fear. And I feel like that translates to everyday life. So what we'll do is if I'm scared on a climb, I'll kind of compartmentalize it and say, okay, I see it. I understand what it is. But if I let it control me, I'm not going to move from where I am. And if I'm stuck where I am, guess what? I'm never going to get off that, that ledge, right? So I'm going to stay on that ledge forever. That's not where I want to stay. I want to go up this route. I want to get to the top of it. So if you translate that into your life, if you just let fear kind of hold you back and hold you where you are, you're never going to progress past anything. Yeah. And it's really hard to even move a little bit. You know, sometimes in climbing, what we'll do is we'll say, you know, just move one hold. So just grab one hold and move up one inch. That can change your entire perspective. And I, and I tell people that with life too, is like, if you just chill out, I'm not telling you to just like solve every problem that you have. I'm just saying, take one step towards whatever it is. And then that's going to change that can change your entire perspective on what you're dealing with. And so people get so locked into right here. That's all yeah. I can see, but that's not your whole life. You know, you have to be able to look at the bigger picture and you have to be able to say, this is a very small bump on the continuum of, of, of infinity, right? Like my accident is, is, is an incredibly small bump in this continuum of, of forever. So don't get so wrapped up in that little bump, try to look at everything and, and you will be able to actually then change your perspective and change where you're headed. I think. Fear is, is a constant voice in our heads. You talked about mountain sense. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to comment too much on mountain climbing, but I know this every single time I get on my bike for for an extensive trip, whether right. it's Alaska and Alaska or California or Colorado. Whatever. Every time when I'm packing up, I have an awful thought that comes across me where I go, oh, my gosh, I just got a picture of me wrecking and dying. Is, is, right. God, is God talking to me right now? Oh, crap. Right. Oh, crap. And I have to every time the Bible says take every thought captive. So what I do is I take that thought. I, I grab it. Oh, let me look at this. And I realize— no, I have this thought right before every single trip. <laughs> this is not motorcycle sense. This right. is not God talking to me. This is what fear does. And 
I might be right. One or one day that voice might be right. Well, the next day that voice is right. That would be the first time that's been right. And it's been wrong a hundred times. Right. And you're compartmentalizing. That's what you're doing. You're just taking it and you're saying, I, I see it. I get it. And I'm going to put it over here because it's, it's not going to happen every time. And, you know, when I went back to climbing after getting hurt, I, in my brain, that the fear was so strong and it was such a, such a powerful force where I thought every time I'm not even kidding. Every time I tie in, I'm going to get destroyed again. That's exactly what yep. I thought. Yep. And so I would climb the smallest amount that I could, right. Yep. Just to kind of get my head right. So I feel like people, they give into it and say, okay, you know what I got, that did happen once and I'm never doing that again because it could happen again. Yeah. I mean, it might, it probably won't yep. though. And in all reality, it, it probably won't. Well, probably the only time that I didn't have that thought before a trip was the only time that I actually had a serious accident. I was, exactly. Right. It was, I, was, I was going, I don't know what it was, going 70, 80 miles an hour and hit a deer. Deer jumped out out of nowhere and didn't have a helmet on. Uh, went oh. 60 yards down the center of the road. People go, so oh, my gosh. you made my testicles go. Yeah, right. People go, oh, man, you should have worn a helmet. I said, no, I should have worn gloves because I had stitches in my two left knuckles. That's all. I, that's all. I should have worn gloves, not a helmet. Because that was what I was. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I didn't have fear there. And then when I got back on the bike, it was it was a while until a bike was fun again. Yeah. To, the, to the point where I, I I I told my wife, I said, you know what? If this thing doesn't get fun again soon, it's just not worth it. I've I, I proved my manhood by getting back on the bike. You know, I've right. I, I've done it, but. It's just not fun. Every, every bush I would see, I imagined there was a deer behind it. Every exactly. single one. It was free. So exactly. how did you get over that? Or are you still getting over that as a climber? No, you, you, it took years. I mean, I'm not going to lie. And, and I kind of said the same thing, like, Hey, if this doesn't like fun up here pretty quick, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and bail. Um, this is ridiculous because the stress was so high. Yeah. What I would do is, is I would remember small pieces of things I liked and I'm sure you did the same thing. So it's like, Oh, I really like the way the rock feels in my hand. I really like being up off the ground. I really like the way the wind sounds. You know, those were the things that I would come away with. And I'm simple enough that I can focus on just the one thing and go, okay, that's the thing I'm going to go back for. Right. Um, those things, what happened was the ledger balanced the other way over time. You know, initially it was all just red. It was, it was rough. It was not that fun, but over time it went into the black and, and things started to feel better and more normal to me. And there are still days. I mean, every now and again, it, it's been a while now, but it's every now and again, I'll just have this weird, like kind of ping. And I just won't climb that day. I'll just go do something else. My wife and I'll go for a mountain bike ride. We'll go for a hike, whatever. We'll go swimming. I just won't climb. And it's gone pretty quick. Um, but I think that's just maybe even, I don't know, my, maybe it would be totally fine if I went and climbed maybe I would get hurt. I don't know. But the days when it feels real tweaky to me, I just kind of go do something else. Well, absolute minimum what you're doing is if you're feeling that way after having already had that feeling, it's, it's not gonna be a fun climb for you anyway. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Just then you're just forcing everything. Right. And I, and I don't ever want to do that. Um, and I tell people all the time, you know, there's, there's days you should climb, there's days you shouldn't climb. And so being open and aware of those things, you just, you know, you want to listen to that stuff. All right, uh, we're gonna we're about ready to go to the lightning round, Craig. The rules of the lightning round, just to remind us all, is I'm gonna give you a topic and you must answer it 
in one to two sentences. I don't want to hear long soliloquies and paragraphs. No, it's called the lightning round. Like, lightning strike. I tell you, say something, you answer it. Are you up for the challenge, Craig DiMartino? I think I'm in. I think I'm ready. All right, here we go. Dream place to go climbing. Oh, that's easy. Climbing those grease. Most aggressive move you've made post-accident. Most aggressive move would be to have three surgeries to fix three things from the accident. The key to getting back up after defeat. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. How to grow out of trauma. Being open to things that you maybe don't even know about, but just knowing that they're out there. Hardest skill to learn as a climber? Patience. All right. So, you know, uh, we've been really good. You've been, you, you've been playing by the rules, and I have too, <laughs> but then someone says something again, wait, what? Uh, patience. Really? I, I would have expected like two-finger pull-ups or something like that. Why, why are you saying patience? Uh, so you can be the best climber in the world is the smartest climber in the world, not the strongest. Um, you can be the strongest person in the world and you will not get up a climb if you're stupid. I hate to say it that way, but that's the way it works. Um, so the, me having climbed for so long, what happens is you get this bucket of skills, you know, so you have a skill set and those skills are always evolving and changing. And the more you can be able to pull those things out of the buckets when you need them, that comes with, with um, experience and being smart. And so if I get on a climb and try to just force my way up it, it probably won't happen. Mm. Whereas if I go up on a climb and I'm smart and I just finesse it, then I have a much better chance of climbing something um, as opposed to just muscling up something. And that, man, that applies to every piece of my life. I wish I could, I wish I could say, oh yeah, it's, it's all about, you know, persevering and just setting goals and blah, blah, blah. And it is to a degree, but it's also being patient and being willing to learn and, and using what you learned in a, in a positive way. All right. That's cool. Two more lightning round questions. Most important lesson you hope to pass on to your kids. Never let something define you forever. It's only going to define you for a piece of time. If you have them, any goals for 2021? 2021, I think the biggest goal for me is to get like sorted out health-wise. I, like I said, I have a couple things that are deal, I'm dealing with right now. So I'd like to get those kind of in my rear view and then um, go climbing. Craig, is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Just a open softball lob to you to say or talk about anything you want to talk about? Uh, just, I think, I know you guys have a really big audience and I think um, within that audience, you probably have a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of, a lot of crap, you know, visible and, and invisible. And the thing I've learned is, you know, you said it, man, people are going to fall off a mountain. It, it hopefully won't be like what I did, but they're going to fall off of something. And so realize that, it's just a, it's just a fluid situation. Nothing, nothing is forever, you know? So the good, the bad, it's, it's always going to be changing and just try to focus on that. Try to realize like it's a fluid situation and today is not the rest of your life. It's, it's today, you know, it's, it's whatever day it is right now. And I just relearned this with this surgery. The day after surgery, I was laying on the couch. I was in so much pain. My foot felt like garbage. 
And I was like, crap, I just wrecked myself for the rest of my life. And then I was like, wait, hold on, back up. The next day it felt better, right? Today it feels better. So you got to realize it's a fluid changing environment always. It's never the same thing. And so just if they can, if they can embrace that, that's a good thing. Greg, if people want to follow up with you or hear what you got going on or see all the cool things you're doing, traveling to Greece, to Antarctica, the Sahara <laughs> Desert, the moon, wherever you might go these days, how might they do that? They can follow me. My website is craigdemartino.com and my Instagram is at Craig Dem, D-E-M, and Twitter is DemartinoClimb, so they can follow me on all those things. Dude, thanks so much for opening up your life and opening up your heart. A <laughs> lot of solid wisdom for us today. Enjoyed it immensely. I'm still cringing over some of the choices you've made <laughs> and impressed impressed by them. You're a good dude, brother. You are. Oh, man, thanks for the time. You. I appreciate your time. I, I really do. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And you've heard it. You've heard it. Our first is a real first on the rest of life today. I don't think we've ever had anybody on who has lost a limb, let alone somebody who chose to take off their limb, let alone somebody who's a mountain climber, let alone somebody who watches cartoons and eats frosted flakes in Greece. I've <laughs> ne we've, ne we've never had that happen before. So that concludes yet another episode of The Aggressive Life. Thank you, man. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band Judges for the music. The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.